Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Here for uh, another kind of newsy episode and maybe talking a little bit about some, you know, political theory of, of the judiciary um, about the news that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, alas, has perished at the age of 87, I think. Um, yeah, so this... Yep. <laughs> Obviously, everybody's in an uproar. You know, the the conservatives are licking their chops at the idea of putting yet another um, justice on the court. And, um, you know, that would make for three of nine, a whole, uh, you know, third of the court by by Mr. Donald Trump, which uh, how how great is that? Yeah. Um, And. Yeah, the the prospect of a 6-3 conservative majority on the court, which that really that really hasn't happened since like the Gilded Age and uh from what I can tell and furthermore back in the Gilded Age, you know, um the uh con- conservatism was spread across both parties. So there was a sort of like like there was conservative Democrats in the South and there were conservative Republicans, you know, in the North kind of business conservatives. And conversely, there were liberal Republicans and liberal Democrats and kind of populist, uh, William Jennings, Bryan type of people. But I think, you know, um, Mike Consal was saying this would be the first time you would have a conservative and also partisan super majority on the Supreme court. And, you know, the, under our, you know, the way our system has evolved, that gives them basically limitless authority to, you know, uh, screw up an election and just overturn any democratic law, you know, based on whatever sort of bullshit, like legal argle bargle they can cook up. And, you know, just like if, if things progress as they have you know, done for the last, you know, 40, 50 years under jurisprudence, uh, and you know, the way our, the, the way the sort of constitutional system has worked, it, you know, it's probably fair to say that there won't be any serious reform of any kind for 30 years, if not longer. And so what do we do about that? Yeah. So, you know, that the, the passing of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, by the way, either the passing or the news of it spread during Rosh Hashanah services on, on Friday night. And, um, and you know, if you're grasping for any kind of hope, because 2020 has been just uh, just an unbelievable shit show of travesty and catastrophe and, and, and shocks to the, the body politic and to the, the human body. Um, there is the idea that Rosh Hashanah is, is bringing in a, a new year in the Jewish calendar. Uh, and, it's, and it's possible that RBG, you know, I, I don't know exactly the time of, of death, but maybe she she died at the end of one one year and, and now we've started a new year. So maybe it wasn't 2020 that was the problem. Maybe it was that that last that last year that we've now put to bed. So there's there's some hope if people are grasping for just kind of symbolic things. Um, but on the other hand, if she died at the beginning of the new year, then that uh, that doesn't bode well for the continuation. But uh, there's panic, anger, sadness, fear. We can kind of um, disentangle uh, the, the various emotions because, uh, you know, whether it's 
the legacy of RBG, her, her decision to not retire when she was younger, to what we do now, and and you know what agency we have, what what agency the Democratic Party has, the the particular senators that may or may not vote um, before the election, uh, and then the the question of whether it's all moot anyway if uh, Joe Biden you know blows it like we we think he might well do. So there's just, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack, right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe just to get this out of the way quickly, you know, the the argument, which I remember having back in 2013 in a sort of limited way, you know, I wish wish I had paid more attention to this, though, you know, back in those days, it was just a little pub blogger that nobody cared about. But I do remember having this argument that RBG should retire. She should have retired back in 2013 when Democrats still had the presidency and the Senate. Um. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that was just inarguably true. And here's why, you know, like, here's the proof. Uh, that's all we needed. You know, this was the fear that would everyone feared would happen, you know, uh, it, when someone's that old. And by that point, she had already had cancer once. Um, you know, it, it's it it seen it was just you know, open and shut case. Uh, <laughs> and again, we're, we're talking about when uh, this is before the midterms, right? This is before. Uh, yes. The, the, the Republic. Right. So so this is when it, it would have been possible, in fact, to replace her with Obama's choice. Exactly. Uh, and so but you know, let, let's take the argument. Um, let's flush it out and, and, and look at the counter arguments, because I agree with you 100 percent. But I think it's just worth the, uh, you know, airing them out, to, because I think here here were the arguments. Some of them are, are far worse as arguments than others. The the, the worst argument is uh, how dare you ask a woman to step aside? You would never ask a man to step aside. Uh, like like the the most absurd faux feminist argument you could think of. Because if you truly understand uh, either feminist ethics or feminist politics in in a truly kind of intersectional or, or radical way, you, you know that people that have power have responsibility to others, and and politics isn't about individual decisions that you should respect the autonomy of when like you're talking about one of the nine most powerful people in the world because of the Supreme Court position. So so the idea that like, you know, basically her her robe, her choice is like from like a feminist perspective is just nonsense feminism. And, uh, and I think that's the, the weakest of the arguments is how dare you challenge the decision of woman you'd never like if it was Scalia, you'd never first of all, Yes, Scalia, please retire during Obama's administration. But like, yeah. like this is so. This is an absurd, absurd point. But it does speak to some of the kind of like um, individualistic liberal uh, notions of politics that also made notorious RBG, notorious RBG, and and kind of have this savior complex about individuals saving us instead of collective action. Um, so that I think is the worst argument. I don't know if you have a comment on that counter argument. Yeah, you. I mean, you, you did hear people say that, uh, well, you know, you didn't say this about Stephen Breyer, um, which, you know, first of all, that's not true. I remember people making this argument, you know, from 2011 to 2013 saying, yes, Breyer should retire as well. Um, but, you know, the reason RBG got so much focus is, number one, she uh, it was at the, she's like six years older, I think, than uh, Breyer. Um 
And number two, even back then, she had already had cancer once. And then you see why, like, the prediction turned out to be correct. Briar is alive and she is dead. You know, it's like that that yeah. was actually the cor- the correct thing to be worried about was her specifically. And, yeah, they should have bullied and that Briar said, into doing it, too. But. Sh- that, exactly. That They should have also gotten him out of there as well. Per- absolutely right. Uh, the, the, other, the other thing that is argued that I think is a stronger argument but still fails is the idea that, you know, she's done so much for the left or for liberalism um, that – you know, she was quite sure that whoever Obama would would maybe pick or get confirmed would be a lesser justice for the cause, kind of thing, um, which again is is so presumptuous. Or, or I I shouldn't say Obama because I think she was banking on Hillary Clinton, um, you know, for the for the next presidency probably. Um, even back then, I think it was kind of clear who the Democrats were kind of putting forward next. Um, so, so, so this idea that whoever, you know, would replace her by Obama wouldn't be as good perhaps. And, and maybe, you know, um, a Clinton appointee would be better. Uh, still a very weak argument, but then it's like, okay, so there's this cost benefit analysis being done that, uh, one, there won't be a Republican that will replace her. And, and two, that whoever, uh, in the interim would replace her would be worse. And that would have a, a consequential effect on people's lives. So what do you think of that argument? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it comes out of this whole trumping her up the notorious RBG, like, uh, kind of hero worship thing that it's just not merited, you know. Sotomayor is the best justice by far, by far. And so that by far yeah. that disproves the the premise right there. You know, I mean, RBG right. has been part of you know the broad like neoliberal turn for the most part. She's been good on like um, you know, like personal f- liberty stuff. Some sometimes, I mean, she did vote. Uh, to support like some of Trump's uh, immigration stuff just recently. Um, But, you know, like uh, just looking at this study, you know, that, that put Ginsburg as either the, the, the most, uh, the most skeptical of corporate, like anti-business, so to speak in on the court or second place behind Sotomayor. But, uh, the 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 uh, researcher says the four Democratic appointees serving on the Roberts Court are far more business friendly than Democratic appointees of any other court era. Even more surprising, the Democrats vote in favor of business at significantly higher rates than Republican appointees in all the other Chief Justice periods since 1946. So, like, you can't you're telling me you can't get someone better than that, or at least someone who is that good in quotation marks and isn't. 86 years old or whatever, you know, like it's ridiculous. No, no. I mean, let's be clear. Like bourgeois white feminism is better than bourgeois patriarchy. Yes. But but that doesn't make it, but, but it's still better yet to have like intersectional radical leftist politics that includes class and cares about people of color and, and her, some of her indigenous rulings were just atrocious. So like, sure. When it came to like rights for LBG, TQ or, or like especially women, um, particularly when, you know, people of color aren't, aren't experiencing special marginalization issues, right? So, so like, you know, especially white women, LGBTQ communities are, are definitely, um, grateful, rightly so, for some of her decisions, but there could have been, uh, so many other decisions that 
were, were even better. And then the other point that we could get to, too, is a lot of her great uh, opinions were the dissents that that never actually had influence. Um so, so that's another kind of complication, but, but all going back to this, this idea that, that she is singular and somehow, um, you know, uh, irreplaceable is just wrong. And, and your point, I think is especially good that like has Sotomayor replaced her, that would have been an improvement. Yep. So, so like literally the, the, you know, the, the choice that came onto the bench from Obama, K- Kagan, you know, you could, you can, I don't know argue if Kagan is better than, than Ginsburg or not, but Sotomayor certainly is. Um, as we said, with regard to, to more issues and, and more categories of, of leftist um, jurisprudence be, because of the way that RBG kind of capitulated to certain neoliberal tendencies. But uh, so that's so that argument kind of fails, you know, clearly. Um, but, but also just the idea that we're going to be saved by this one person is the wrong understanding of politics. And, and far more clearly, the danger instead should have been the fear that uh, instead of maybe someone who may or may not be as good on all the different issues, you could have a reactionary, a full-fledged reactionary appointed instead. And, and that's what, you know, that's what we're looking at. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be this this lady Barrett, um, I think. That, Probably right. That's the, Amy Amy Barrett. That's who's been uh, who's being talked about. Yeah, and a real real kind of frothing at the mouth right winger. Um, and yeah, it's like you're telling me you can't find someone who isn't just sort of like a replacement level, like center left neoliberal at least. You know, if not, dare I say a poc woman you know like like who may yeah. who, i mean this like sotomayor is one of the few who who came from uh she, she has a little bit of a lower class background i believe and and republicans hated her for that you know said oh she's an affirmative action baby and blah blah, blah. it's like oh and lo and behold her jurisprudence turns out to be significantly better because she has more experience and isn't quite as yeah. stuck in with the big law, you know, like legal conspiracy right. of the Brett Kavanaugh's and the Amy Chua's and the, um, that lady's husband who's now under, I forget his name, who's now under investigation for sexual harassment. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, and yeah. And so I guess maybe this is the more important question is like, what do we do now? You know, like, <laughs> right. Right. Hey, but you know, r- real quick before we transition to that, I just want to say that like, the panic is real right now, and you know, and that's we're going to get to. What do we do now? Um, the anger, maybe at RBG, is understandable, but kind of moot at this point. Yeah. Obviously, she uh, did. although I would say that that even more that anger at RBG because that kind of recapitulates the kind of individual politics that like individuals are either uh, heroes or to blame. You know, and really, it's it's the culture of liberalism that actually put tremendous pressure and and argued against the pressure for her to retire. So so that's like the collective politics that was in, was happening. And and again I think this is this is kind of um part of the problem today, but the sadness, the mourning of both the loss of somebody who was indeed one of the the few possible votes um that even in a 5-4 split, you know, with with Justice Roberts and the way that he approaches decisions kind of kept things at bay uh sometimes uh, when it came to, to critical fundamental rights and their protection. Also, look, she was an individual who had kind of an, an amazing life and, and had many excellences and, and, and virtues and, and kind of overcame uh, so many obstacles and was, was kind of, you know, in her own right, um, tremendously successful and, and, and at times brilliant and at times courageous. Uh, I even remember reading a case where 
you know, at the time, you know, she, she was <laughs> one of, one of the, uh, the few people who could speak to this because she was a woman. Uh, there was a case where I, I think that the justices were basically deciding whether it was a, a violation, uh, to allow, basically like a, a middle school uh, principal for safety issues to kind of demand strip search of students. Um, and, 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 and Ginsburg was like, all of you men have no idea what it, what it's like to be like a 13 year old girl and, and what kind, cause if we're balancing, you know, invasions of privacy against, you know, security, and, and if that's the kind of trade-off we're looking at, you're all speaking as if it's no big deal, right. For a 13 year old girl to, to kind of strip in front of an adult. And, and I don't know, just, there were ways in which her experience, um, you know, as a Jewish woman, uh, were very important for, for how she kind of argued and, and, and that the bearing it had on the court. Sure. And, and then I also, I also say that like her dissents, it, you know, it is true that obviously dissents don't win the day. Um, but to the extent that like legal fictions cover up for power struggles on the court, it's not entirely true that dissents don't matter. That that's kind of a lie. Uh, no. In fact, like when, when precedents are overturned, um, you know the the dissents from the past that were especially powerful are often drawn upon, and, and what used to be a powerful dissent becomes kind of the persuasive language of a new overturning decision that becomes new precedent. So um, anyway, I just wanted to give like proper uh, commentary to to kind of. We're not judging her as a as a human being. In fact, as a human being, she seemed quite remarkable in many ways and and did very important things, and that should be acknowledged and that can be mourned and all that. But but the kind of liberal politics that both uh, supported her not retiring and that is has lionized her to the detriment of understanding both the reactionary nature of the court per se and the fact that like as devastating as this is going to be, it was always mass politics and collective understanding of politics that uh, we need to rely on. So I just wanted to say that before we shift to what do we do now? Yeah. Yeah. You, you remind me of uh, the famous dissent from Oliver Wendell Holmes in Lochner versus New York, which. Yep. Exactly. Um, yeah. That, that was. I think in the long run, more influential than that decision itself. He said, you know, famously, the 14th Amendment does not enact Mr. Herbert Spencer's social statics. It's a great yeah, line. Yeah, that's Very right. short, too. That's like two, three paragraphs long. Um, you yes. never see a decision like that these days or very seldom. Um, yeah. And so it, it is also ironic that... Uh, the conservatives appear to be much better about kind of strategic retirements than uh, liberals do. Mm -hmm. um, this yep. isn't the first, like, gosh, was it Thurgood Marshall who also died in uh, on the bench? And, and that sort of started the, the that was like the end of the um, liberal majority on there. Uh, you know, you notice it was like Trump, Trump came in office, Anthony Kennedy, he's not, he's not even that old. I don't, he was like mid seventies, late seventies. And he's just like, I'm out of here getting, right. yeah, give me one of those Federalist Society drones in my yeah, seat. And, and report, reportedly he, he, there was some backroom dealing, like I'll retire as long as you, you pick Kavanaugh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, it's just solidarity of a sense, you know, solidarity amongst the right. elite arist aristocracy that rules over us all with an iron fist. 
Yeah, no, and I mean, I think we've we've said this before many times, but not only are Harvard and Yale law schools the only law schools represented on the court, but Gorsuch and Kavanaugh both went to the same prep school. <laughs> prep school. Georgetown so, Prep. So like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. I mean, talk about just you know, small not not just an echo chamber. You know, the the very halls that they walk through from like the time that they're assaulting women as teenagers. I mean, what? Sorry. Some um, listen. Some people may say that there's two people from the same prep school on the on the most powerful court because of you know, in incestuous aristocracy and the whole system is rigged and we don't live in a real democracy. Blah blah blah. I don't believe that. The reason is that our, you know, elementary schools and middle schools, the public schools in this country where like 90, 95 percent of people go, uh, they are not getting the important legal experience of drinking to blackout (laughs) status four days a week, uh, you know, assaulting women. Culture. Um, yeah, yep. th- this, these are the it's a culture issue, really. Exactly. And this, this is why, you know, the, th- those sorts of experiences are what, what is needed, obviously in this day and age, you know, boofing, uh, I don't have to explain that to the listeners, I'm sure. Um, but you know, there, there our schools are not teaching, um, you know, those sorts of key skills that are needed to write, you know, the, the, the great, um, constitutional scholarship, um, that that uh true. we true. need today and so you know if if you are 15 years old and you and you can't do the old six and ten you know down six beers in 10 seconds without throwing up um you know you don't deserve to be anywhere near the legal profession frankly that's the end of the preview folks if you want to hear the whole episode you can go to patreon.com slash left anchor thanks for listening